little boy and little girl last night said, Dad, what are you going to preach on tomorrow? I said, heaven. And they said, yes, they're excited to hear about heaven. Are you guys excited to hear about heaven today? Me too. All right, so we're going to talk about that for a couple of weeks. So let's get started today. You guys give these boys and girls another round of applause. Get out of here, everybody. See you Wednesday night, okay? Wednesday nights are going great here, by the way. We'd love for your family to come and be a part all the way through the ninth grade. And then tonight, our high school students and college students will be meeting together. I have been asked to teach our college students tonight, so I'm excited about that. Well, we have been walking through the book of Revelations together, or the book of Revelation together now since April the 26th. And today we come to Revelation chapter 21. And we are going to focus today on this place called heaven. And I think the timing's perfect. As you probably know, our church and many of you in the room have been uh, experiencing sorrow and grief uh, in your family and in our church family. And so my prayer is that today, through the truth of God's word about heaven, that God's going to give us comfort. Now, we're only going to begin into Revelation 21 today. We'll, we'll be there for a little while longer, at least one more week. Let me say this, just to kind of review what we talked about last week. We don't know exactly where heaven is located right now, but we do know the day's coming that heaven's going to be relocated. The, the new heaven and the new earth are going to be joined together, and that's an exciting thing to think about, not to re-preach last week's sermon, but listen, y'all, we're going we're gonna to have a real body on a real earth. We're going to have a, a real life that's going to last forever. Heaven is not some sort of ethereal, floaty, boring for all of eternity, some kind of concept like that. No, your, your thinking about heaven might be a lot more closer to the reality if you thought of it like this. It's going to be a lot like this world that we know, minus the sin, minus all the things that are not right, all the things that are bad. But it's going to be a real earth, a real body, a real life that we're going to experience. Think about this. Every joy, every pleasurable thing that you've ever experienced in this life, in this world, in this body... It's just a faint whisper of the joy and the pleasure that's to come in the new heaven, in the new earth. Think about that. Any of you like going to the Gulf? It's beautiful down there, right? Some of y'all like going up to the mountains. Some of you like traveling out west. Or Think about some of the amazing places that we can go. Grand Canyon, the Alps, the, the Amazon rainforest. Listen, guys, all that is just pencil sketches of what the new earth is going to be like, where we're going to live together with God forever. In, in our wildest dreams, in our craziest imaginations, we cannot even begin to fathom just how deeply breathtaking and deeply satisfying that experience is going to be for us. And so I want to walk you into Revelation chapter 21 today as deep, really, as I think time's going to allow us to do that. And I'll give you some things you can jot down that you can think about later on. Uh, maybe if you are walking through a period of grief in your life right now, going back over those thoughts will give you some encouragement later on. Or maybe you know somebody that is going through some grief and sorrow right now, and maybe you can share that. Maybe you can send them a text with those notes on it today to maybe encourage them. Let's start with this. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. John says three words that are so important. He says, Then I saw. Those three words are telling us that John is about to tell us something that is epically important. Those three words, then I saw, are kind of like mile markers on the road that leads us 
into eternity. I remember when I got old enough to figure out what mile markers were all about and what they meant, and I understood the exit number where we had to get off to go to where we lived, and I began to understand how those mile markers work. Well, for John, when he uses that phrase, then I saw, it's like a mile marker. In fact, from Revelation chapter 19 to where we are today in Revelation chapter 21, John has put up six of those mile markers already. This is going to be the seventh mile marker that he puts up. The first one in Revelation 19, when he said, then I saw, he was talking about the second coming of Jesus, Jesus coming back to earth. That's pretty noteworthy, right? I think we could agree. You're going to stick a mile post right there and say, let's talk about Jesus and his second coming. The second time then he says, then I saw, is when he's talking about the defeat of the Antichrist. That's a big deal. Let's put a mile marker there. John says, then I saw. The third time he says, then I saw, is when he's speaking about Satan being banished for those thousand years. That's a big deal, and he sticks a mile marker there. The fourth mile marker is when he says, then I saw, in reference to the thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth. That's a big deal, and so he sticks a mile marker there. The fifth mile marker that he puts in place is when Satan is released at the end of those thousand years and is ultimately and finally defeated. That's a big deal, right? Let's put a mile marker there. The sixth mile marker that John put in place when he says, then I saw, is in reference to the great white throne judgment that we talked about last week, the final judgment of all the unsaved people, and they're being cast into the lake of fire. That's a big deal. Let's put a mile marker there. Today we get to Revelation chapter 21, and we get to the seventh mile marker and it's a big deal because when John says then I saw this time it's in reference to the new heaven and the new earth this is our eternal home there is nothing beyond this this is a big deal and so when he says then I saw he's telling us hey focus in clue in there's something major that's going on here and he's talking about heaven and the first thing that I want to tell you today about heaven is this heaven is real it is real. And here's why I say that. John says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And when John says, then I saw it, it's the same language that this same John used in the Gospel of John. Back in John chapter 1, he says in John 1.14, the Word became flesh and His glory dwelt among us, and we have seen Him. We have beheld Him. In other words, John says, I saw Jesus. I saw the Word in flesh. I saw Him live His life. I saw Him die on the cross. I saw Him resurrected from the dead. And just like I saw Him, and I can tell you He is real with that very same language, He says, I saw heaven and earth. A new heaven and a new earth. Listen, John's not talking to us out of Revelation today as a philosopher or as an educator or as a politician. He's talking to us simply as a witness. He says, I want you to know what I have seen. Remember, John's writing this as a prisoner. He's writing this from a prison island. You know why? Because he had seen Jesus. He had seen his life, seen his death, seen his resurrection, and he couldn't stop talking about it. Even when they threatened him with imprisonment, even when they threatened him with death, he said, I cannot stop telling you what I have seen. I've seen Jesus. And in Revelation 21.1, he uses the same language and the same conviction to say, and I've also seen the new heaven and the new earth. It is real. Not only is heaven real, but number two, heaven remains. It remains. What I mean by that is it's going to last 
forever. Now that's not true of this planet that we're sitting on right now. It's not true of those stars that I sat out under last night in my backyard. I, I hope you do that right now in these cool fall nights that we have. Gorgeous. But you know, all this world and all of its magnificence and all of its beauty, our favorite places in it, they all have an expiration date. Nothing in this world is, is going to last because the Bible is clear that one day, maybe not too far from now, God is going to uncreate Every physical thing that he's ever created. Just as he spoke in an instant, everything came into existence. He's also, again, going to speak and call everything out of existence. Think about that. You can travel in our galaxy, if you could, nearly 900 quadrillion miles to a star that's 200 million miles in diameter. And that's just in our galaxy. And astronomers believe that there could be billions of other galaxies outside of our galaxy. And with just a word, God's going to uncreate all of that. It'll all be gone in an instant. Look at verse 1 again of Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. So he's uncreated everything, and then John says, and there was no more sea. Now, I'm not exactly sure what that phrase, no more sea, means. We could talk about that, but I know this, this much at the very least. The new heavens and the new earth, they're not going to operate like the old heavens and the old earth. The, the laws of nature that we experience in our current context, they're not necessarily going to be in the same type of operation in the new heaven and the new earth. I don't know, maybe gravity is going to have an on-off switch. I, I don't know exactly how all that's going to work. But I know, for example, in this world, we need water, right? Water's necessary for life. This is why we're looking for water on the moon and on Mars. Is there a possibility that there's other life out there? You've got to have water. But in the new creation, listen to this. We're not going to need water to live. We're not going to need anything in the physical realm to sustain our life. There's going to be no risk of overheating, no risk of dehydrating. There's going to be no need for evaporation and condensation for all of that to happen so that we can have water. Now, this doesn't mean there's not going to be any water there. When we get to Revelation chapter 22, we're going to read about this river that flows from the throne of God in heaven. But I find that interesting. Maybe that's a subtle reminder that while we're not going to need water to be able to live and to exist while we're in heaven, all we need is our creator. And this river will flow from his throne. The current heaven and the current earth are going to pass away, but the future heaven, the future earth is going to remain forever. So heaven's real. I want you to know that today. Heaven is a place that's going to remain. The third thing I want you to know is this. Heaven is a place that is made ready. It's made ready. And that implies somebody's making it ready. John uses that phrase, I saw. Verse 2, look, I saw the holy city. New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. He uses that phrase, I saw, for the eighth time here. It's another mile marker. What's the significance of that mile marker? He's introducing us to the capital city of the new earth here. 
He's introducing us to the capital city, also called the holy city, the centerpiece of the new heaven and the new earth. We're going to learn a whole lot more about the specifics of that city next week. It's called the holy city. Why is it called the holy city? Because that's where the holy king lives. That's where he resides. But it's also called the holy city because the citizens of that city and of that earth that it's the capital over are holy citizens. We've been made holy by the shed blood of Jesus at the cross. The sons and daughters of God forever. And now this is and will forever be the holy city. And listen, you need to know this. It is a real city. We'll get more of the details of that next week. It's going to have real people there. In real bodies. And we're going to have real activity. There's going to be real things to learn. And real things to explore. There's going to be real culture there. And I I can't even fathom what that culture is going to be like. What the music of that culture is going to be like. What the art of that culture is going to be like. What the amenities of that city are going to be like. That we're going to enjoy forever. We're going to have real relationships there. We're going to have boys and girls. We're going to have real fun there. Real adventures to be had there. Real responsibilities. Somebody may be thinking, Pastor, I think you're like stretching it a little bit. Are you kidding me? Do you think I have the potential within me to exaggerate just how amazing heaven is going to be? I promise you, I'm not even getting close to describing just how amazing it's going to be. Perfect unity among the people that are there. Incredible social lives that we're going to experience. Harmony. Cooperation. Serving. I think this is the place that Jesus in John chapter 14 told his disciples, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. I think maybe this is what he was talking about. He was going away to prepare the new Jerusalem, the capital city. I think it's really possible those loved ones of ours that trusted Christ and have gone on to be with the Lord, I think it's very possible this is where they are right now. They may be already living in the city, the new Jerusalem, while it's under construction. Now, I'm not much of a city guy myself, so I don't know that God's going to have me residing in the new city when he comes back. I'm cool with that being the capital. Maybe he'll put me out on a farm somewhere, kind of down the road from the new city. But this new city's going to be so big, you're going to see it from wherever you may be. We'll talk about that some more next time, next week. What an incredible place that's going to be. But I know heaven's a place that's made ready. Look again at verse 2. John says, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. Notice that the city comes down out of heaven prepared. It doesn't pop into existence. It has already existed. It is being prepared like a bride preparing to meet her husband. If there's one thing I've been doing these days almost as Often as I'm doing funerals, that's weddings. I had another beautiful wedding last night for a young couple that's going to be in our next membership class. They want to establish their family here with us at Grace Life. Beautiful wedding venue, beautiful couple that's there. Beautiful bride, just breathtaking as they always are as she was walking down the aisle last night. There's one thing that I've learned from doing all these weddings all of these years. Those brides, they take a while to get prepared. There's the months leading up to it, and then there's the day of. 
they start early. And they got to get their hair did. And their nails. And their skin. And stuff that I don't, probably don't even know about that they do. They do. And it's like all day. Hours and hours and hours and hours. While the groom, you know, it takes us maybe 20 minutes. Depending on if we shave the day before or not, right? Something like that. Think about this. 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. Here in 21, it says it's prepared. But 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. Now think about that. I, I'm, I'm one of the people that actually believes it only took God six days to create the world that we're living in right now. I know somebody goes, what about science? What about science? It looks millions and millions of years old. I've always asked this question. Nobody's answered it yet. How old did Adam look on day one of his life? Did he look a day old? Oh, so why would we think we live in a universe that looks its age, right? So you, you can disagree with that. That's fine. But I just believe God created all this in six literal days. Now, here's what boggles my mind. As amazing as this place is that he created in six literal days, Jesus has been preparing this place that's going to come to this earth. He's been preparing that for 2,000 years. We can't begin to fathom what that's going to be like. The old pastor from a couple generations ago, R.G. Lee, he said this, and this man really got me thinking. He said, heaven is the most marvelous place that the wisdom of God could conceive. And that the power of God could prepare. Think about that. The new Jerusalem, if this were possible, is taking every bit of the creativity of God to create it the way he wants it to be. If it were possible to max out the power of God, and it's not possible to max out an omnipotent God. But if it were possible, he comes pretty close to maxing out his power when it comes to creating the new heaven and the capital city of it called the new Jerusalem. Imagine when we get to see that place for the first time. Imagine your loved ones that have already gone on there when they got to see that place for the very first time. Try, just try to imagine what they're getting to see right now. There, there's some videos that really just get me choked up. There's the military people coming home. Anybody else get weepy watching those? They own me. And then there's the other one with uh, people that scare cats with cucumbers. Have you? No. I'm just kidding. That doesn't make me emotional at all. It makes me emotional, not just teary, though. It's hilarious. Tears of laughter. Somebody's like, I've never seen that. You, go look it up. You, you, just, you just got something for you to do for about the next 90 minutes when you get home today. Now, there's another set of videos that are, are out there now that they do something to me, too. Um, they have these special glasses now, and I'm told they're not cheap, but if you're colorblind, you can put these glasses on and you can see for the first time in your life color. Now, I'm not colorblind. I, I can't imagine what it's like to be colorblind. And these videos are moving because you see this one particular one stands out in my mind. This guy, I'm, I'm going to say he's probably about 60 years old, and he's just standing on the front porch of his just modest little home there. And his family members have all gone in together to get him these special glasses. And so he puts these glasses on. And y'all, he just, he can't contain himself. Like he's just, 
you know, looking around. It's like I, I, every time I watch it, I just think about, I think that's probably what my reaction is going to be when I see heaven for the first time. I, I mean, he, he at one point turns his back to the camera. He's just looking at his front door. He can't believe how beautiful the front door. And he, and he lives in a very modest home. He's blown away by how beautiful the front door of his home is. He's looking at the trees, and he can't believe it. He's seeing colors that he's never seen before. Things look so real and so rich like he's never seen before. His grandson's holding some balloons on a string, and he's stunned. And he just physically starts trembling, just shaking. He can't take it in. And I just always look at that, and I think, I think that's got to be sort of what it's going to be like when we see things that we've never seen before. Y'all, we're going to... We've got taste buds that are still dead in sin. But in heaven, we're going to have taste buds that taste things that we have never tasted before. Smells and colors and sights that we have never even imagined and dreamed of before. It's all what's in our future. Heaven, I'm telling you, is a place that is real. It's a place that remains. It's a place that's made ready. Here's number four. It's a place of relationships. Verse 3, John says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God, listen, is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Did you hear that? Verse 3 is dripping with the language of relationships. God's going to be with them. They'll be with him. They'll dwell together. He'll be his people and he'll be their God. Think about how significant that is. John grew up Jewish. John grew up believing that God is so holy, you can't even speak his name. The Jewish people won't even write his name. But here, John says, in this new city, I'm telling you, not only do we get to say his name, but we get to see his face. We get to live in the same city as him. We get to be where he is. He's our God. There's going to be no limit to our relationship to God. Imagine that. When we get to see Him face to face. And this has been God's plan all along. Even back in the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 26, verse 11, God said, I'll make my dwelling among you. This is what He's always wanted to do. We're going to get to live with God in all of His fullness, in all of His brightness, in all of His glory. No more veil. No more curtain. No more turn around. Get in the, hide yourself in the cleft of the rock. You can't handle this. No more of that. We're going to be with God in His presence, and we're not going to bat an eye. We're going to be able to see Him. There'll be no more fear. There'll be no shame. We're going to enjoy that relationship forever. I'm telling you, heaven is real. It is a place that remains. It is a place that is made ready. It's a place of relationships. Number five, heaven is a place of relief. In verse 4, John says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. We are so incapable of getting our minds around what heaven's going to be like. Even John, he's seeing it, and he can't get his mind around it. So instead of telling us what is there, because he can't even find the words for that, he just tries to tell us what's not there. And he tells us five things that are not there. First, he says no tears are going to be there. There's nothing that's ever going to happen in your future home that's going to make you sad. Think of that. Not one moment. Not one. 
You, you won't even remember what sadness is. You won't even remember it. You won't ever be disappointed in the least. There, You won't even remember what disappointment is. You will never feel the slightest way of being unfulfilled in that place. Nothing's wrong. Nothing's broken. Not the smallest tear of sadness is ever going to well up in your eyes. There's going to be no tears from poverty or from loneliness or from the loss of a love. No tears of pity. No tears of remorse or regret or neglect. John says there's no tears there. Then secondly, he says no death will be there. Death is swallowed up by victory. Death is gone. Death is eliminated. You know why death isn't going to be there? Because death is dead. It's gone forever. Thirdly, John says there's no mourning there. M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. Nothing to mourn about. No grief. No sorrow. No depression. No fear. No anxiety. Fourth, he said there's no crying there. Wait a minute, John. You've already said there's no tears there's no mourning. Now he said there's no crying. He's running out of ways to tell us just how good it's going to be. There's no crying there. He's making a point. Then he says there's no more pain. No more pain. Isaiah says by his stripes we are healed. And this finds its complete fullness in our eternal home. Yes, he took our sins to the cross, but he also took our diseases, our infirmities, and we'll be forever healed. No hospitals. No graves, no hunger, no thirst, no diabetes, no heart disease, no cancer, no COVID, no depression, no murder, no suicide, no overdoses. All of that gone. What's happened to that stuff? Look at the end of verse four. The former things have passed away. All that stuff is part of a broken world. But when we get to Revelation chapter 21, there is no more broken world. It's gone. It's passed away. And heaven now comes down and is united with a new earth. I think John's point is this. In heaven, you are going to be as happy as you can possibly be. Hey, boys and girls, think about the happiest moment of your life that you've ever had. Was it going to Disney? Was it having a birthday party? Was it the day you found out you're going to be a big brother or a big sister? Was it when your mom woke you up this morning and said, you get to go see Pastor Joel today? <laughs> Was it any of those things, maybe? Whatever the happiest moment you've ever had in your life, just multiply that times a gazillion, billion, trillion. And that's what every moment of heaven is going to be like. Pure joy, unending, undiminished, unhindered. Hindered. Number six, heaven's a place of restoration. Verse five. John says, and he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He's making all things new. That's a real complicated word there. In the Greek, the word all means all. And that's all that all means. And John just said, God is going to make all things 
new. What are we saying today? Heaven's a place that's real. It's a place that remains. It's a place that's ready. It's a place of relationships. It's a place of relief. It's a place of restoration. But you need to know this too. Number seven, heaven is a place that's restricted. Not everybody's going to go there. Not everybody's going to be there. John describes here people in two different ways. Let me show you. In verse 6, he says this. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. The word Alpha in the Greek, that's the first letter of the alphabet. Omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet. In other words, God says, I'm the A and I'm the Z. Beginning and the end. Then listen to this. He says, to the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life. Without payment. In other words, life that he's going to give is free without payment. Verse 7 The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Here we find that those who are thirsty and those who are conquer find themselves in the favor of God. They find themselves in this in this heaven forever. Now, who are the thirsty? That he's talking about. These are the people who know that they need God. They know they're in sin. They know that their souls are thirsty. That their hearts are parched by sin. And they're bone dry. And these are the ones who admit their need to be saved. They admit they're thirsty. They cannot find life. They cannot find forgiveness anywhere else. And they turn to Jesus for salvation. And in doing so, he makes them conquerors. In fact, Paul says, more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. So here we have the thirsty and the conquerors. They're the ones who have trusted Christ to save them. So heaven's theirs. But then John describes this second group in verse 8. But, and that's a strong contrasting conjunction. He just talked about the people that are getting heaven. The thirsty and the victorious, the conquerors. But, as for the cowardly the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Any of you ever been cowardly? What about faithless? Detestable? You ever murdered anybody? Jesus would ask it this way. Have you ever hated anybody? Because he would say in the Sermon on the Mount, that's the same thing as murder. We go, we're, we're guilty of all this. But here's what I need you to know. These are not written here in such a way that they're activities that we've done. The language here is not the language of activities. It's the language of identity. Notice, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, source, it's not saying the people that have done these things. It's describing the people whose identity is wrapped around sin. Maybe somebody today will say, I don't, I don't want those things to be who I am. I've done those things, and I still do those things, but I don't want that to be my identity. 
what do I do about that? I want you to understand this morning, and we've talked about this before, the gospel has three great transfers. Adam's sin, the first man, sinned against God, and his sin was transferred to every single one of us. We're in Adam. But at the cross, our sin gets transferred to Jesus. And if we put our faith in Jesus to be our Savior, then the righteousness of Jesus gets transferred to us. That's the three great transfers of the gospel. Adam's sin transferred to me, my sin transferred to Jesus, and Jesus' righteousness transferred to me. The moment I called on Jesus to save me, the righteousness of Jesus was transferred to me or imputed to me. It became my own. That means that not only did Jesus forgive me of my sin, but he changed my identity. I'm no longer identified with Adam. I'm now identified with Jesus. I'm no longer in Adam. I am in Jesus. So you're, you're here today and you're either in Adam or you're in Jesus. If your identity is wrapped up in the things of Adam, then heaven is not a place for you. Heaven is a place that's restricted for only those who are in Christ. Who have found not only forgiveness, but a new identity. I have a new identity. Now, does that mean I don't sin anymore? No, I still sin. I wish I didn't, but I do. But my sin doesn't change my identity. I'm still in Christ. And because I'm in Christ, I'm a child of God. When I sin, all I have to do is confess my sin to my Heavenly Father who is faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. There is not one single sin for the person who is in Christ. There's not one single sin you could ever commit that will change your identity. Your identity is rooted and grounded in the person and the finished work of Jesus Christ and what He did at the cross for you. One day, you're going to die. And you're going to stand before God, and the question is going to be, are you in Adam, or are you in Christ? Because those who die in Adam will go to the lake of fire. But those who die in Christ get to live in heaven with God forever. In a place called heaven. A place that is real. A place that remains place that's being made ready, a place of relationships, a place of relief, a place of restoration where everything's made new, and a place that's restricted to only those who say, I am thirsty, I need life, and Jesus, you're the only way. Have you turned to Jesus? Have you trusted him to save you? Do you know that today beyond a shadow of a doubt? Or are you sitting here still identified with Adam? Your identity is in the human race. Or is your identity in Christ and in Christ alone? God, we bow our hearts before you with excitement because we are looking forward to this place, Jesus, that you're preparing for us, a place that we cannot begin to fathom. And we will spend eternity there, not because of works that we have done, but because we came to the conclusion that our works fall woefully short. 
And we cried out in our thirst for living water that can only come from Jesus. And you saved us by your grace. God, I pray that every person in this room knows that for themselves. That there's no doubt in anybody's heart today that they're in Christ Jesus. Where there may be doubt, where a person may know that they've never trusted Christ, I pray right now, they would turn their eyes to you, Jesus, today and be saved. For those of us that are in Christ today, I pray, God, that we would celebrate, that we would revel in our freedom and victory that we have in Jesus, that we would, in this moment, set our minds not on things below, but on things above. One day, we won't remember any of the struggles of 2020. I'm not even sure that the word struggle will be in heaven's dictionary. Jesus, I'm thankful that I belong to you today. And I always will. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord.